the talk about the loss of service members has taken on all the dignity of a Delta House food fight. Wrong, Jake Tapper. Delta House food fight much more dignified. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV 102.3. In Washington, D.C. on 105.5. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day, as you may have heard, on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Deprogrammed Radio, there we go, uh, Workforce Rising, and Radio Sputnik Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all around. Swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much, as ever, for joining us today. So, you know, um, Desi Doyen... Hello. Yes, hello. There has been this ugly, really ugly conversation over the past week, uh, a poisonous conversation, in fact, in this country, about comments made to the widow of one of the uh, four special forces uh, troops, Green Berets, who were killed some weeks ago in Niger. It has been so ugly and so toxic, and the media and political world have been discussing it so much, I found no need over the past week to do so here. Uh, Choosing to focus on news and facts that I think Americans and the world need to know about. It has just been so. uh, It's awful. It's it's, really awful. It's 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 awful that it has come to this, that you have a president of the United States making these kind of uh, statements, um, you know, essentially attacks on the widow uh, of a sort of uh, of a special forces operative who was lost in battle. And then on the congresswoman who was uh, bringing to light that these she was unfortunate comments. More importantly, the, the only reason that this conversation was happening at all was because Trump has not said, or at least had not said, one word about the four U.S. Green Beret service members who were reportedly killed in that ambush in Niger for weeks until he was finally asked about it last Monday and chose to make some obnoxious and verifiably inaccurate statements about uh, about Obama and about other presidents, how they deal with troops that are killed during their presidency, rather than respond to the question about what the hell special forces operatives were doing in Niger, what the circumstances uh, were of their death. 
And uh, more to the point, why Trump had not said one word about them to mark their sacrifices in all of those intervening weeks, even while he had uh, time to do so. He had time to tweet about all manner of things. Eric Bowler had documented, I think this was before Trump's obnoxious remarks on Monday. Uh, Trump had has weighed in on more than a dozen topics via his Twitter account, picking fights with the NFL about how best to honor the troops, whining about unfair media coverage, trying to relive the 2016 election, but nothing to honor the troops. The troops, the four of them who had been who had been killed in this for weeks afterwards. Uh, Bullard notes in a speech on Friday, Trump had actually bragged about how his team was defeating ISIS. That just one week after ISIS fighters had killed four Americans, making it the worst day of combat loss for the U.S. military during Trump's time in office. Trump even golfed over the weekend while the bodies of the U.S. fallen were being returned to the U.S. Uh, just as with the issue of players in the NFL kneeling during the national anthem to bring attention to the problem of systemic racism and police violence in the U.S., uh, when Trump somehow turned that matter into one of disrespecting the troops in order to divert the nation's and the media's attention away from the real issue there, and it worked, Trump has also expertly diverted attention now from whatever happened in Niger on his watch and his complete failure to even recognize the sacrifice of those service members in any way. Rather than respond to that, uh, he diverted attention. Now, plenty has been said about this just so ugly chapter in American history, this uh, ugly chapter, uh, you know, by an American president and the remarks that he made to uh, one of the widows reportedly of, of the one of the service members a few days ago after he finally had reached out to the family. But to help uh, cover for him, Trump's chief of staff, General John Kelly, who many have lauded as helping to keep the world safe from the reckless, clueless lying, dangerous president, General John Kelly, in defending the indefensible actions of this president, decided to smear the widow's congresswoman who happened to be there when she took the call from the president on the way to meet the remains of her husband at the airport. And uh, she, Kelly, John Kelly, who so many revere, it seems, uh, smeared her with this bald-faced lie about the congresswoman's remarks at a ceremony dedicated uh, dedicating an FBI building in, in Florida a couple of years ago. And so today, the videotape of those remarks was surfaced by the Miami Herald. It revealed that General John Kelly, who said he was there at the time at this ceremony, that Kelly blatantly lied about what Congresswoman Frederica Wilson had actually said during that 2015 ceremony. Uh, maybe it wasn't a lie. Let me give him the benefit of the doubt for the moment. Perhaps Kelly just misremembered what happened. But he was very, very specific about what happened and how he was just stunned by what she said and did at the time. But now the video has come out showing she did not say or do anything close to what Kelly very specifically charged about what she said and did. It's clear that he was just wrong. We know that now. We have the videotape. 
But rather than apologize for that, the White House put out a statement essentially doubling down on Kelly's original lie. And I bring all of this up, not because I want to talk about it at all, but to point out that this stuff, if you had any question, this stuff is now way beyond partisan politics or right, left, red, blue, Republican, Democratic stuff. The stuff that we try to cover here, the remarkable disassociation from actual documented facts and reality that we try to document on this show every day on the broadcast goes far beyond that Republican, Democratic, partisan nonsense. We try to focus on facts and reality on this show and what is or isn't actually going on, stuff that you need to know about so that you, as a voter, can, uh, and as, as a citizen, can take appropriate action. Yes, I take very seriously my constitutional mandate uh, of, of freedom of the press and the responsibility to inform the electorate with that freedom. I don't know if we succeed every day here or not, but that's what we try to do. And my thanks, by the way, to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue doing so as long as we can Free of partisan and corporate nonsense that feeds so much of what passes for our mainstream media these days. Uh, Thanks to those of you who allow us to do that over your public airwaves. But the point that we have an administration now that is willing to take actions based on demonstrably untrue things, things that are proven to be untrue, things that anybody can see are untrue, Uh, This should be troubling to all Americans of all political stripes. I mean, everybody. At least if they're actually informed of the facts, which is just one reason that uh, corporations, frankly, have succeeded in removing virtually every progressive reality-based radio host from our public airwaves at this point. So thank you again to those who go to bradblog.com slash donate to keep us going. But ignoring actual facts does not make them not exist. Even though the Trump administration seems to think that if you disappear something, you know, from a website, that you are disappearing a thing from reality. Because, you know, if it's not on a website, it's it's no longer there. The Environmental Protection Agency has scrubbed still more references to climate change from its website. Good news, Des. <laughs> no, no more climate change. Well, there they you go. They solved it. Solved. On Friday, the uh, watchdog group EDGI, Environmental Data and Government and uh, Governance Initiative, highlighted changes to the EPA's page dedicated to energy and environment information for state and local governments. The Group uh, noted that a previous version of the page included information about climate change. The previous version of the page, which has been preserved thanks to the Internet Archive Group, included at least 19 references to the climate. The new page contains zero, not a one. The EPA in April had said it had begun the process of updating its website to, quote, reflect the views of the leadership of the agency, not to reflect the science of the agency's scientists, but the views of the leadership of the agency 
That would be EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. At the time, back in April, the agency had deleted content on its pages related to climate change, to climate science, to the impacts of climate change and climate information for children, among other things. Remember that EPA Kids website? Uh, They just removed that. We don't want kids to know about what's going on in the world that they are growing up in because, you know, again, if it's not on the Web page, it is not happening. And if leadership doesn't agree with it, well, it's not happening either. The Hill notes that other government websites have also reduced their climate change focus, including the National Institutes of Health. They add that EPA uh, Administrator Scott Pruitt has raised doubts about climate change science and indicated he will soon launch an effort to critique it. Raising doubts about climate change science is a very nice way to put it. He spoke about that effort, a so-called, uh, re- this is, they've been talking about this red team, blue team uh, nonsense. It's an exercise that Pruitt wants to launch in order to continue to confuse the public that, uh, right. away from the fact that 97% of climate scientists say climate change is real, it's happening, it's man-made, and it's really bad. And Right. He brought this up again uh, during, uh, with this, uh, an appearance that he made, a, a Q&A with the uh, Right Wing Heritage Foundation, a leader in climate change denialism, by the way. Uh, Pruitt and uh, Energy Secretary Rick Perry have been talking about this so-called red team, blue team exercise that they that they hope to convene where, there, as you said, Des, there's this debate about climate change, what to do about it. But, of course, the problem with such an exercise in general is that it puts facts on par with non-facts and propaganda. This is the phony balance That I have been uh, yelling and screaming about so much. Fairness is one thing. Balance is often BS. This balance that helps to elevate the liars and the propagandists with the with up right up there with the scientists and the truth tellers. So you could have, you know, 10 scientists uh, who actually know about climate change on the red team and 10 scientists who disagree if you can find 10 such scientists and uh, both are even now they both have facts they're both it's 50 50 we'll leave it up to the american people to decide that is the con that scott pruitt and rick perry uh are now hoping to to run on the american people don't fall for it it's you know everybody may be able to see that it's raining outside we can all go to the window and we can look it's raining But we still have to have a debate, apparently, between those who say it's raining and those who say, no, it's not raining. It's sunny outside. Who's right? We'll have a fair and balanced debate to figure it out. Who knows? Well, we know we can look at the science in this case, our eyeballs out the window and see that it's raining. So anyway, Pruitt offered a whole bunch of nonsense like that during his uh, Q&A at Heritage this week. Uh, Just remarkable propaganda claiming that it's you know what he's doing it's all about the rule of law at the epa it's not about the millions and millions of fossil fuel funds that folks like pruitt and the other climate crisis deniers have received over the years from the fossil fuel industry it's just about the rule of law but i wanted to point out this exchange from the uh, from the transcript here that was uh, published at newsweek today wherein pruitt in this Q&A, was asked to explain, quote, the shortcomings of the scientific evidence for climate change. Yeah. And the type of data that would be needed to convince you that climate change is happening. So I'm not going to help publicize his 
silly, fact-free response, uh, frankly. But I wanted to highlight this comment on this on this one point here. He, he re- replied to the question uh, and said, I have adb- advisory boards at my agency. And he described several different science advisory boards at the EPA. He said, the scientists who make up these bodies, and there are dozens and dozens of these folks over the years, those individuals, as they've served those capacities, guess what has also happened? They've received monies through grants and sometimes substantial monies through grants. I think what's most important, he said, at the agencies is to have scientific advisors who are objective, independent-minded, providing transparent recommendations to me as the administrator and to our offices on the decisions that we are making on the efficacy of rules that we're passing to address environmental issues. He said if we have individuals that are on these boards that are receiving money from the agency, presumably he's, he's talking about the EPA here itself, Uh, sometimes going back years and years to the tune of literally millions of dollars over time, that to me causes questions on the independence and the veracity of the transparency of the recommendations that are coming our way. He said, next week I want want you to to know something, and I'm not trying to get ahead of myself too much, but next week we're going to fix that. Next week, I'm going to issue a directive that addresses just that to ensure the independence, transparency, and objectivity with respect to the scientific advice that we are getting at the agency. Desi, do you have any idea what he's talking about, what he's previewing there that is going to be coming in the in the next few days? Yes. So if, if he does, as he hints that he is going to do, what he's talking about is changing the makeup of the people who are on these scientific advisory panels. For example, the scientific advisory panel that looked at all the studies on particular kinds of pesticides and found that those pesticides are bad for people, especially children. Well, that advisory board says, hey, we think you ought to outlaw this pesticide or restrict the use of this pesticide. And of course, these are people who are not getting any money at all, who have never got any money at all from the very industries that they're talking about, right? No. I on these so. advisory panels, you have industry representatives, you have community representatives, you also have scientists who have done the research on this. They try to, you know, as they should, get a broad-based version, uh, broad-based opinions from people who know what they're talking about. So this is the guy who spent years, years, receiving millions of dollars from the fossil fuel industry, you know, as as Oklahoma's Attorney General, uh, Scott Pruitt, uh, suing the EPA on their behalf, sometimes literally copying and pasting their letters, the fossil fuel industry's own letters onto his own letterhead and then sending it to the Obama administration as if it was his actual opinion versus that literally written by the fossil fuel industry that the EPA is now charged with regulating. This guy is suggesting that Uh, scientific, peer-reviewed studies, tens of thousands of them documenting the facts of climate change are are only due to that sweet, sweet money from academics, uh, from, you know, scientific institutions like the EPA. Never mind, never mind the amount of money from the most profitable industry in the history of human civilization, the fossil fuel industry. Never mind the money from the from the Dow Chemicals, the Monsantos, the Koch brothers, all of whom have an interest here. It's the nickel and dime funding for academic scientists, which have somehow warped all of these facts, all of these science, all of this science over all of these decades. Tens of thousands of reports 
and scientists. So he's somehow he's going to he's going to put a stop to that next week. Well, at least that's what he tells us. Uh, at the meantime, uh, while he's concerned uh, about that, while he's pretending to be concerned about that, we mentioned, uh, what was it, uh, last month, I guess, on this show, that Donald Trump's nominee to oversee chemical safety at the EPA, this guy's going to be in charge of chemical safety at the EPA. He has for years accepted payments for criticizing studies that raised concerns about the criticizing peer reviewed studies about the concerns about the safety of his clients products. This was according to a review of financial records um, and his published work that the AP did in late September. Michael Dorson, he is uh, now the nominate. He's in the nominee for the head of EPA's Office of Chemical Safety and Pollution Prevention. He was recently considered during a, a Senate committee hearing. Ethics experts say that Dorson's ri- uh, past writings and the money that was paid to him and uh, a nonprofit that he, he founded could could represent potential conflicts of interest. Oh, do you think? And it was a huge amount of money going back decades. Past uh, clients, corporate clients of Dorson, who is now going to be in charge of the Office of Chemical Safety and Pollution Prevention. Prevention. They're going to have to take that word out of that uh, office, I I guess. Uh, His past corporate clients include Dow Chemical, Coke Industries, Chevron. His research has been underwritten by industry trade and lobbying groups representing the makers of plastics, pesticides, processed foods and cigarettes. But Scott Pruitt is concerned about some of those scientists who may have gotten grants over the years from From the the EPA, EPA. but not the scientists who get grants from the industry. Yep. Those scientists will get on those advisory boards. At his hearing, uh, and we went into the details at that time a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go through it again. But, I mean, these, uh, he was coming out with reports, this guy, that even the companies f- that were paying him didn't agree with. He was finding, you know, certain levels of chemicals to be safe when even the companies who made the chemicals said, no, no. Uh, really? It's, it's not safe at that level. It's not Seriously, safe. Right. Exactly. This is the guy who's going to be in charge. I mean, this is serious fox in the hen house stuff. Tammy Duckworth, Senator Tammy Duckworth, uh, confronted him. We had, we had played a Senator, uh, Democratic Senator from New York, Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, sort of an emotional uh, colloquy she had with him, with Dorson at his hearing with the families of those who had just learned. What was it? Do you remember the exact uh, circumstances? Yes, this was a uh, families in upstate yeah. New York near where Senator Gillibrand's house is who have learned that their drinking well water has been contaminated with chemicals. And so Gillibrand was trying to say, hey, I need you to care about human health here. Do you think that these kinds of these levels of, of, of chemicals, toxic chemicals in these people's drinking water is a problem? And he said, I'll have to get back to you. Yeah, on that. And she uh, you know, you had the families there who were worried about this, these toxic chemicals that I think cause cancer. Uh, yes, they cause a variety, variety of, of, of horrible illnesses. Um, an- it's sad. Another one, um, Tammy Duckworth, Senator uh, Illinois, uh, Democratic Senator Tammy Duckworth also confronted him about uh, pet coke. 
Can you quickly explain yes. pet coke? Pet coke is a byproduct of oil refinery. It's a dusty carbon type of uh, of it's mm-hmm. like dust, and and it it blows about and it gets in people's lungs and it kills them. And the Koch brothers, I think, uh, had been uh, stockpiling this. Yes, in giant Chicago. piles. Imagine giant piles of coal. It's kind of like that. Giant piles of this very fine dust off the rivers in Chicago, just right there, out in the open, uncovered, blowing dust into poor neighborhoods. So Duckworth was trying. to to get a response from Dorson if he agreed with the EPA, which has studied pet coke for years and reported on the dangers of this. Yeah, it's very well established. Pet coke is bad for you. And she could not even get an answer from him during his uh, hearing uh, a few weeks ago from Michael Dorson. Uh, here's here's part of that exchange. Or no, do you agree with the EPA's website as it currently states significant quantities of fugitive dust from pet coke storage and handling operations present a health risk? Do you agree with that? Yes or no? You're looking to go to work at EPA. Do you agree with what's on their website right now? With all due respect, Senator, what we did with the city of Chicago was look specifically... I'm not asking about what you did with the city of Chicago. I'd like to know, do you agree with the current statement? And if you're not willing to answer, that's fine, but that will... I'm asking a very simple question. You're applying for a job here at the EPA. And they say on their website right now, significant quantities of fugitive dust from pet coke storage and handling operations present a health risk. Yes or no? Senator, I'm not really ready to answer that question without... Okay, then I don't think you're ready to go work at the EPA. Thank you. Yeah, well, uh, apparently he is ready to go work at the EPA. Now, Duckworth has... uh, Here's an idea, by the way, for the EPA. Just take that off your website. (laughs) <laughs> just uh, that will make pet coke problem safe problem solved problem solved take it off the website it's no longer a danger get rid of uh, climate change it no longer exists uh you got a video showing that the president of the united states his chief of staff a general a military general has blatantly lied about what a congresswoman said and did just ignore it just double down facts no longer matter uh, and in this case, uh, the fact that he has uh, Duckworth is is currently has a block. Actually, a lot of uh, Democrats, I think, have put a block on yes, Dorson's uh, nomination. Have put a hold on him uh, because, you know, she says essentially that his career as a representative for the chemical industry is a problem. Yeah, well, apparently it's not a problem. Because even though he has had his hearing, even though he has not even been voted out of committee yet, Apparently he's uh, he's showing up for work. The Trump administration is pushing the limits of uh, of a federal law that restricts nominees from serving in federal positions before they're approved by the Senate. This, according to Politico today, a review by Politico has identified four officials at three different agencies doing substantially similar work to the position for which they have been nominated despite not yet getting a green light from the Senate to do so. Lawyers and other experts said the moves, including the EPA, the State Department, the White House Office of Management and Budget, um, at these those offices, um, the moves to have unconfirmed nominees show up for work appear to skirt federal vacancies, the Federal Vacancies Reform Act, which prohibits most people who have been nominated to fill a vacant government position from performing that office's duty in an acting capacity. A White House official said the administration is following federal guidelines that let it name nominees to separate advisory or consultative uh, consultative roles as they await confirmation. 
this was written as a 1998 law. It was uh, written in response to an effort by then-President Bill Clinton to install an official at the Justice Department in an acting capacity even after he was rejected by the Senate. Senate Democrats have raised red flags about uh, two nominees who are advising the EPA uh, on the on the policy issues that they will oversee if they are confirmed. Susan Bodine was one of them. She was nominated in May to head the EPA's enforcement office. She has not yet been confirmed, but is uh, currently working at, at the EPA as an advisor to Pruitt on enforcement matters. Michael Dorson, they note, who was nominated in July to head the EPA's Office of Chemical Safety, and pollution prevention is also currently working at the EPA, even though he has not yet been confirmed. He is serving as an advisor to Pruitt on chemicals, according to the agency itself. E&E News first reported that Dorson was working at the agency this week. Uh, his, uh, they write uh, his, uh, Trump's pick to lead the U.S. EPA's Office of Chemical Safety and Pollution Prevention is already working at the agency. Shortly after the EPA acknowledged the former environmental health prof uh, professor's role, the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee announced it will indefinitely postpone votes scheduled for this uh, this morning. This was uh, Wednesday uh, on Dorson and other nominees. Right now, there will be no vote in committee at this moment for these people. For what it's worth. Because they're working there anyway. Yeah. Uh, Chair uh, Chairman John Barrasso, Republican of Wyoming, who chairs the uh, the Senate Environment Committee, declined to comment on the reason for the delay. Uh, but there were concerns about whether at least one of the candidates would get enough votes. I have a feeling that's Dorson. Uh, previously, uh, his unannounced uh, position at the agency um is troubling to watchdogs, the fact that he is working there and we only just found out about it. Uh, Meredith McGee, chief of policy at Issue One, an ethics advocacy group, said until he is confirmed, he should not be working there. Dorson is the first Trump EPA nominee to, ad, uh, to advise Administrator Scott Pruitt without full Senate approval. Susan Bodine, uh, the other one who is doing this, uh, at least she has been voted out of committee. She hasn't been approved by the full uh, floor vote. But Dorson hasn't even made it out of committee. He's encountered uh, some fierce opposition. Good, rough, justifiably so, from Democrats. EPA said Dorson was advising Pruitt after Ian e &E News began raising questions about his role at the University of Cincinnati, where he used to work. An email sent on Monday to Dorson at the university bounced back with a delivery failure notice. That's how they found out. Correct. And uh, then uh, on Tuesday, I think, after the university received a records request from E&E e &E News <clears throat> about Dorson's employment status, then the uh, his staff biography was taken uh, off of the website there at the university. Uh, in brief phone calls, two of Dorson's former university colleagues said he had left the school. So he has left. He has left his job He's at the school. He's been gone for a while. <clears throat> Apparently knowing, thinking he was going to be working at the EPA. Which he is. Apparently he is. E&E News has now confirmed that uh, Dorson actually has an EPA uh, email address. So 
You know, the rule of law, who cares? Uh, facts, who cares? Senate con uh, confirmation, who cares? For all of these Republicans who have spent so many years talking about the rule of law, they apparently don't give a damn about the rule of law. That just does not matter anymore. And this goes, again, above and beyond partisan right-left politics. This is not only about the rule of law, it's about reality. And we are in a very dangerous place in this country where reality, not to mention the rule of law, no longer seems to matter. That's why it's so important that we have media out there, independent media, uh, who is willing, and watchdogs like E&E &E and, and these other groups who are willing to call these folks out and dig in and find out what's actually going on in our government, in our country. Quick break, and we'll be back with uh, more unreality after this on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. We really need your support now more than ever. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. I don't know if the law won. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. A federal judge has ruled that President Donald Trump's pardon of former Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio, oh, Arpaio <laughs> ends his prosecution for criminal contempt of court, but, and this is maybe some good news, does not wipe out the guilty verdict that she returned or any other rulings in the case. So uh, he's, he, he won't be prosecuted. He won't be sentenced. He was looking at a year in jail, former Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Uh, but at least his guilty verdict is still on the books. It still exists. They did not, they were not able, so far anyway, to make that completely disappear. They could not delete that from their website, <laughs> like the EPA. Uh, in her order on Thursday, Phoenix-based U.S. District Judge Susan Bolton rejected arguments from Arpaio's lawyer and the Justice Department prosecutors that the longtime Maricopa County Sheriff was entitled to have all rulings in the case vacated, including the guilty verdict the judge had delivered back in July after a five-day trial following uh, contempt charges from a different federal judge. She wrote, the power to pardon is an executive prerogative of mercy, not of judicial record keeping. She was quoting an appeals court ruling. She said to vacate all rulings in this case would run afoul of this important distinction. The court found the defendant guilty of criminal contempt. This is a U.S. sheriff, a U.S. sheriff who had served for decades in this role, was found guilty of criminal contempt in federal court. She writes, the president issued the pardon. Defendant accepted it. 
The pardon undoubtedly spared defendant from any punishment that might otherwise have been imposed. It did not, however, revise the historical facts of the case, which is essentially what uh, his attorneys and the Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Justice, were trying to argue for to make this disappear. It never happened. Vacate the the judgment after a you know a long tri- a five day trial just it never happened. Well, it did happen. Arpaio was charged with contempt for defying another federal judge's order aimed at preventing ethnic profiling of Latinos, which he was told to not do over and over again, and frankly, abuse of those Latinos in his jails, in his uh, fa- infamous tent. Out, tent prison out in the middle of the desert in Phoenix in, in Maricopa Phoenix, Arizona County. people right. who had to survive 120 degree temperatures with no air conditioning <clears throat> some of whom did not survive by the way exactly. in his jails he also did things you know that he wasn't charged for like uh, creating uh, uh, f- uh, phony charges that a uh, that uh, a journalist had tried to have him killed trying to, to frame that guy trying to frame that guy uh, he ignored uh, tons of uh, complaints, uh, sex abuse complaints f- uh, uh, on yeah. children. This is that's the horrible. on children. <clears throat> and yet Donald Trump pardoned him, claimed that he was found guilty, quote, for doing his job. This was Trump's first pardon back in August. Arpaio lawyer. Uh, Jack Willencheck said he plans to ask the judge to reconsider her ruling to not vacate the guilty uh, charge. And uh, failing that, he said he will likely appeal. Good. Every appeal, every appeal that the media uh, that, that happens, the media gets to talk about the story of this sleazebag criminal, Joe Arpaio, who was revered by Donald Trump. And many folks on the right, many Republicans, revere this guy who broke the law time and time again under color of law as the county sheriff in Maricopa County, Phoenix, uh, Maricopa County, Arizona. Some ethics and government groups and Democratic lawmakers urge the judge to reject the pardon altogether as an unconstitutional intrusion by the executive branch into the judiciary branch's ability to ensure that its orders are enforced. There are a lot of people who are worried that, hey, if if a, a federal court issues an order that is ignored and there is no penalty for it, then why follow any uh, court order at all on anything? That's why it's so shocking that the Department of Justice joined in on this attempt to erase the guilty verdict, erase history, erase what actually happened. It never happened. Earlier this week, uh, several groups asked the judge to allow them to appeal her ruling, accepting the pardon and dismissing the case against Arpaio. She has not yet ruled on that request. So, again, the more appeals, the better. The more the media have a chance to talk about what this horrible man did. The uh, judge here, Bolton, is a Cl- uh, uh, Bill Clinton appointee, but Judge Murray Snow, who had initially found Arpaio to be in contempt uh, and referred then the matter for criminal prosecution after Arpaio ignored that finding of contempt, uh, that judge, that federal judge, was a George W. Bush appointee. But hey, you know what? Maybe Joe Arpaio should run for Senate in Arizona next year. 
Apparently having a criminal record, defying courts of law, defying the rule of law, that no longer seems to be an impediment to running for high office in the GOP. You can, you can defy federal court orders all you want. That is certainly the case for the disgraced former Alabama Supreme Court Judge Justice Roy Moore, who is now the Republican nominee for the special U.S. Senate election set for December in Alabama, the Republican nominee for the U.S. Senate. Being found in contempt of federal courts, that is no longer a barrier. To, to running for office, and neither is apparently even understanding the rule of law, much less following it. Roy Moore, the Republican candidate to fill Attorney Jeff Senro, Je, Je, Attorney General Jeff Sessions' seat in the U.S. Senate, incorrectly said uh, on Wednesday that football players who take a knee during the national anthem are breaking the law. Yes, he said, it's against the law. You know that? He told this to Time magazine in an interview. It was a act of Congress that every man stand and put their hand over their heart. That's the law, he said. Moore was referring, uh, apparently, according to Time, to a section of the U.S. Code that says those listening to the national anthem when the flag is displayed, quote, should, should, not shall, not will, not must, but should, stand at attention with their hand on their hearts. Should, as Matt Shuham notes over at TPM, falls far short of making, uh, of, of making people stand during the anthem, at uh, making that a legal requirement. Similarly, he notes, the Supreme Court ruled back in 1943 that students could not be punished for failing to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance in public schools. According to Time, Moore also said that standing for the anthem was a matter of, quote, the rule of law. And if they didn't have it in there, it would it would just be tradition. But this, he said, is the law. If we disobey this, what else are we going to disobey, said Roy Moore? Well, he should know. He was twice removed from the Alabama Supreme Court for disobeying the orders of a federal judge. First time for removing, uh, for refusing to remove a statue of the Ten Commandments that he had installed at the courthouse. And then, years later, after he was voted back onto the court uh, by Alabama for instructing probate judges to deny marriage licenses to same-sex couples even after the U.S. Supreme Court had ruled that those couples had the right, the constitutional right, to marry nationwide. He gave these false instructions to, uh, to the judges in Alabama. He was told to knock it off. He didn't. He was removed twice from the Alabama Supreme Court. And now, his reward... He's the nominee for the U.S. Senate in Alabama. This is a guy who stood in judgment on others. Yep. Who's <laughs> misapplying the law. Yeah. And now he's coming out and saying, well, you have to stand for the national anthem. That's the rule of law. You're disobeying the law. If we disobey this, what else are we going to disobey? You tell me, Mr. Moore. Moore told uh, Time separately, he said, I back the president in upholding respect for the patriotism for our country on two grounds. One, it's respect for the law, which apparently Moore does not have. And if we don't respect the law, what kind of country are we going to have, he said. And two, it's respect for those who have fallen and given the ultimate sacrifice. I'm surprised that no one brought this up. 
well, uh, more uh, has uh, is, is deeply tied to uh, white nationalist Confederate sympathizers. He has stated that he would favor outlawing homosexuality, prohibiting Muslims from serving in Congress. You know, all stuff that's in violation of the Constitution, and he's pretending that he's concerned about the rule of law. All of that is, however, not the only contempt that Moore seems to have for the rule of law. We told you a couple of weeks ago, I think this was late September, that uh, Moore had neglected to disclose as much as $150,000 in income to federal ethics officials. According to a Daily Beast review of public records at the time, in, uh, in the filings with the Alabama Ethics Commission, Moore, who was the former chief justice of that state Supreme Court, he had listed $50,000 to $150,000 in monies that he had received for various speaking engagements. But when he filed the, with the uh, Senate Ethics Committee, just two months later, he explicitly denied having received any payments from an article, a speech, or appearance last year. So he just lied on these Senate ethics forms, which, yes, is a violation of the rule of law. Moore's uh, Senate disclosure filings also stated that neither he nor his wife had any outstanding liabilities last year of more than $10,000, but his Alabama filing listed somewhere between one hundred and fifty and 250000 in liabilities owed to a credit union or savings and loan Uh, or a credit card issued by one of them. In a 2014 report to state ethics officials, Moore noted that his wife, Kayla, drew a $65,000 salary from the Foundation for Moral Law. That's the nonprofit group that uh, the ironically named nonprofit group that Moore had run before uh, assuming his state judgeship. But the Foundation for Moral Law's annual tax filings for that year says that Moore did not receive any compensation from the group. So who's telling the truth? Uh, and and by the way, this was Moore's foundation. He ran this. So in one, she got a salary. In the other, she didn't. Well, now we have Moore. I know, running late. Got to get to a break here. The Alabama charity that once led, um, that was once led by Senate candidate Roy Moore Uh, according to the Washington Post, did not report to the IRS that in 2011 it guaranteed him $498,000, half a million dollars in back pay, according to an income report provided to the Washington Post by the charity itself. Half a million dollars. Correct. Five tax law and accounting specialists said it appears that the guaranteed payment should have been reported as compensation which would have triggered a federal tax bill of more than $100,000, but he he just didn't bother to report it. That is the latest in a series of questions over Moore's financial ties to that Alabama charity uh, where he worked after he was tossed out of the uh, state Supreme Court the first time back in 2003. Now, he's running against, for the record, he's running against former Democratic uh, U.S. appointed U.S. attorney Doug Jones. But, you know, it's Alabama. So uh, he's still the front runner here in this case. Moore is, despite all of this that we have learned about this guy. Uh, One poll recently showed the two were neck and neck, but it was a Fox News poll and it didn't screen out those who, uh, you know, if they were actually registered voters. Still, register. If you live in Alabama, register to vote. Y'all can oust this scoff law 
if all you do is show up and vote. He, uh, by the way, he served as president of this charity for five years from 2007 to 2012. He worked 20 hours a week, according to tax filings. Charity agreed to pay him $180,000 annual salary for 20 hours work. Hey, nice work if you can get it. That uh, annual uh, salary deal, however, was not publicly disclosed until the Washington Post found out about it. They uh, reviewed 1099 forms that were provided from the charity itself regarding Moore's compensation. The form shows that the payments went to a family company called Roy S. Moore LLC. Moore owned the company with his wife, Kayla and their daughter, Heather, who also worked at the charity record show. But guess what? The charity itself, the board members had no idea. They didn't know they were paying uh, an LLC, an independent company, as a contractor. They thought this guy was on salary. In interviews, John Bentley, a board member and former chair of the charity, the Foundation for Moral Law, um, Bentley had said that the organization was essentially run by the Moore family. And uh, he faults himself for providing little oversight to all of this. And he was surprised when he learned from Post reporters, Washington Post reporters, that Moore was paid as a contractor. He said, this is news to me. I never heard of Roy S. Moore LLC. This guy was the chairman of the board. Uh, Bentley said he was a foundation employee. Why else would we come up with a $180,000 salary? Moore also received benefits of being an employee, including health insurance, perks such as a bodyguard and a spacious office in the foundation's refurbished headquarters, according to documents that were reviewed by Washington Post. Nice work if you can get it indeed. And I'm pointing this out not because he's corrupt, but because he is still running for high office. He is still running now for the U.S. Senate. He is the front runner, the Republican nominee for the U.S. Senate. If all of this stuff has come out before he has even taken office, imagine what he's going to do once he becomes a U.S. Senator. Do you care? Do you care, Alabama? Did you even know about this? I don't know if you did or not, but I'm doing my job helping to inform the electorate so you can make educated decisions when you step into that voting booth. The special uh, U.S. Senate election for Alabama, for U.S. Senator from Alabama, is in December, December 12th, I think it is. Register to vote now and uh, try to show up and cast your vote on December 12th, whoever you want to vote for. Quick break and we're back with a few more minutes. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Reality used to be a friend of mine. Reality used to be a friend of mine. Maybe why it's a question that's on your mind. But reality used to be a friend of mine. Yeah, still is. Still is a friend of mine. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Welcome back to reality. 
uh, at the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Just a few minutes here. There, I have four years, uh, as hopefully you know if you listen to the Bradcast or if you read bradblog.com, uh, four years been highly critical of the media, and many in the progressive media too, by the way, who refer to these far right-wingers these Republicans as conservative when they are not conservative. Conservatism uh, has for you know many decades. It's polled very well. It sounds great. I'm a conservative. And so that's what the Republicans called themselves when they have never actually been conservative. If words have a meaning, if reality exists anymore, then you cannot call these people conservative. So we always put it in quotes when we have to use it in one uh, that that phrase in one way or another. But uh, Republicans are not conservative. They uh, apparently, you know, Roy Moore, Scott Pruitt, those guys don't even believe in the rule of law. But on uh, uh, Thursday, Senate Republicans passed a four trillion dollar budget blueprint by a very narrow vote, fifty one to forty nine. Kentucky Senator Rand Paul is the only Republican who voted against this thing. All of the Democrats voted against this thing. The plan would essentially uh, shelve the Republican pretend concerns about uh, deficits and debt uh, in order to pass this thing because it, uh, well, it sets the stage for tax cuts later this year. Now they can pass it through the Senate without uh, worrying about a Senate filibuster. They can pass it with just 51 votes, just 50 votes. Actually, they got the vice president. And but this budget blueprint will add one point five trillion dollars to the deficit over the next 10 years. Very conservative of you, Republicans, to balloon the deficit by one point five trillion dollars. And even with that. It calls for huge cuts, $473 billion in cuts from Medicare over the next 10 years and more than $1 trillion from Medicaid. So not only are they not conservative, they're willing to balloon the deficit by $1.5 trillion so that they can get these tax cuts for rich people, but they are also more than happy to break the promise that, remember, Donald Trump had said, we're not going to take away Medicare, we're not going to take away Medicaid. They're going to cut uh, Medicare by half a trillion and cut Medicaid by a full trillion if they are allowed to move forward with this, and they are allowed to move forward with it with just 50 votes in the U.S. Senate. Rep uh, Democrats are obviously hopping mad about this. Uh, Dick Durbin said Republicans in the Senate just paved the way to cut Medicare and Medicaid to pay for a massive tax giveaway to the wealthy few. Matt Iglesias over at Fox notes that, uh, uh, not Fox, Vox, Vox.com, notes that millionaires are 0.5% of the total U.S. population, but they will get 58.6% of the benefit of the Trump-Ryan tax plan. So, you know, reality, you may like Republicans. That's fine. You may vote for Republicans. That's fine. You may not like Democrats. That's fine. But can we get anywhere close to reality? Can we start talking about what is real and not just, you know, what somebody removes from a website that makes it real or what somebody claims as the president's chief of staff, John Kelly, did? 
uh, and the White House did about this uh, congresswoman from Florida. Can we not, you know, when the videotape shows otherwise, can we just get anywhere near to reality? I'm so old. I remember when those so-called deficit hawks during the Obama administration oh, yeah. objected, <laughs> objected to all of this deficit spending that we're going to have to do that actually ended up saving the world economy from a total global depression. Well, there's that. But, you know, they somehow have disappeared. They're uh, all in favor of this debt financed tax cut. And remember, the media has picked up on their wording and calling it tax reform. It is not tax reform. It is tax cuts. Yeah. They use it to explode the deficit. They do this every single time they are in power. They uh, call for tax cuts. They explode the deficit and they say, oh, and the national debt. And they say, oh, we have to do something about this. We have to cut the budget. Yes. And they all say, uh, however, that uh, that debt uh, won't happen, that deficit won't happen because the economy will pick up so much that will wipe out the deficit. That's their claim. And it never has happened. Never has happened. They always explode the deficit when the Republicans are in charge. So you may like them or you may not, but can we get close to uh, reality here? All right, we got to get out. Uh, I want a uh, quick thanks uh, to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to allow us to uh, keep sharing reality uh, with you over your public airwaves. Uh, as long as we can, while reality still exists in any form, we will st still continue to report on it as best as we can. Can I uh, sent a donation to bradblog.com? Thanks for that. Ken adds, thanks for covering such important issues with care and intelligence and just the right amount of snark. <laughs> Brad we try. And Desi. Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, I don't know about care or intelligence. Well, care I have. Intelligence, I'm not sure about. Uh, the right amount of snark I will leave to you. Uh, but thanks again uh, to those of you. You know, we were only going, we had been doing the weekly broadcast for many years. We were going to, uh, we had hoped to do the daily broadcast through the end of the 2016 election year. And then there was this big surprise ending to that. I don't know if you've heard about it. Of course, if you listen to this show, it might not have been quite as much of a surprise. But uh, thereafter, we thought, well, let's keep going as long as we can. And so my thanks to those of you. Uh, now is a great time to vote for the Bradcast <laughs> by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate so that we can uh, see how much longer we can continue doing this. Uh, thanks to all of those of you who stopped by there for our support. You can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. And if you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can, as ever, download it for free at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. Leave a nice comment for us, nice review or comment. Make it a little easier for everyone else to find reality as well, otherwise known as the Bradcast. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Reality used to be a friend of mine. Reality used to be a friend of mine. Maybe why it's a question that's on your mind. But reality used to be a friend of mine.